0: I'm gonna hijack this episode for just a minute to tell you about a brand new program that I have for those of you that are more on the beginner side of your online course journey. If you don't have a course yet, you don't have sales yet, if you're interested in not only setting up an online course, but an online course business, that actually gets traffic, that converts traffic into actual sales, because that's the difference between an online course and an online course business. One actually makes money. That's what businesses are, they make money. And most people fail with online courses because they focus on the course itself and not the course business as a whole. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, then this might be the program for you. It's called Genesis Courses, and it's courses from the beginning. You get it? It's a proven step-by-step system to go from idea to profitable online course business. So you can have the confidence you're working on the right things in the right order. It's mentorship and direct feedback from me. It's confidence in your niche. So, you know, you won't go through all the effort of creating a course that doesn't actually sell. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. I'm actually creating two brand new online course businesses in 2023 following this Genesis process. And those that sign up for Genesis this month will get to watch over my shoulder as I do that. So if you want to learn more about this opportunity, head to IWantGenesis.com. There you'll find a detailed video I made walking you through exactly how the program works and what you can expect And there's also all the information on the page if you'd rather just read about it. So once again, head to IWantGenesis.com to learn more about my new beginner program called Genesis Courses. Now on to episode 193. You know, we're right at the end of 2022 here. What what are you going to do in sales this year? We've reached um, over
1: like 3 million in in sales this year, yeah, which has been awesome and And really only this like iteration like i did a new iteration of this offer and funnel like end of february so it's really only been you know eight and a half months or so and yeah like three million bucks in in sales
0: (laughs) okay so if somebody's struggling they made one sale and then two days later the person refunded and they're crying in a corner because they can't make an online course work just know that That doesn't have to be the end, and in a couple years, you could be bringing in three million dollars from almost the same online course. Just tweak the offer a little bit, tweak the funnel, and just get things dialed in. Do I have that right? Exactly.
1: Like there was not a significant change in what I was teaching. Um, It was just where it was positioned. It was you know ads versus a web. Like it it was these minor things that literally took it from zero dollars to three million dollars, which is
0: Hello and welcome into another episode of the Online Course Show. I am your host, Jacques Hopkins. If you are new here welcome. So glad to have you, but most of you are probably returning and so glad you are here as well. We are getting close to going on six years of this podcast, which, you know, if you would have told me that when it was getting started, when nobody was listening, I didn't have an audience here. I don't know that I would have believed you that I'd be still doing this six years later and that y'all out there would still be craving this content from me, little old me out here, but it's not just me. Oftentimes we have amazing guests and other contributors, to the uh, the podcast episodes and I just like to have conversations about this world of online courses and it, it, you know it can be more than just online courses and the, the the way the market has changed and grown in just the past six years or or look at the past 10 years when I first got into this with my own online piano course you know, we, we talk about more than just courses themselves here, right? We talk about memberships or coaching or communities or masterminds. Online courses are a way to package up knowledge and and share that and, and have an impact on other people to help achieve certain outcomes with that particular knowledge. Books are another way to do that. We don't talk a lot about books on the podcast, but today, We actually have a guest coming on who has a course about publishing your very own book and why you would want to do that. And so we're going to talk about in this episode exactly how to maybe self-publish your own book, why you might want to do that. can actually be a great marketing tool. But more importantly, we're going to talk about Matt Rudnitsky's course on teaching how to do that and how successful he's been. This is one of my favorite stories that we've ever come across on this podcast because I think the takeaways for you are so incredibly powerful. You'll hear that in Matt's story. But I think that a lot of people fail with online courses because if you hear Matt's story, you're going to hear where a lot of people would have given up. He did not find success right away. He did not find success on his first go. In fact, you'll hear that when he first tried this, he first launched a few years ago, he made one sale. And some of you maybe can resonate with that, maybe you made zero sales, maybe you made one sales, but for Matt, his story is kind of worse than zero sales because that one sale, they actually requested a refund a couple of days later. That had to be so demoralizing. Some of you maybe have given up or would give up right there, and Matt Rudinsky did not. A couple years later, he tried again, he repackaged everything, it was essentially the same course, and he still didn't find success right away. He did a live webinar, only sold a couple of copies. He tweaked his messaging, did a little better, went back to the drawing board, figured out what was working, what wasn't, tweaked it. He went back to the drawing board with his message. His main course and his main offer really didn't change that much, but he kept going back to just the overall messaging behind everything, and eventually he struck gold. But the main lesson here is that sometimes the persistence is what allows you to find success. Putting something out there, getting market feedback, and then putting an updated version of that out there. And it doesn't have to be the course itself. It might just be the webinar or the messaging or the sales page or some component that happens before the sale takes place. And that's why Matt's story is so, so powerful is because he did that and has been handsomely rewarded for that. I'm recording this introduction here right at the beginning of 2023. And he did right at a million dollars. No, not a million, three million, three million dollars in sales from one online course in 2022. And wow, it's just an incredible story, incredible results. Full disclaimer, a lot of that traffic did come through ads from him. So he spent, I think he said like 1.6, 1.7 million in ads, which is just that, that alone blows my mind. Uh, So we're talking about over a million dollars In profit, How would you like to have over a million dollars in profit from one online course in a calendar year? Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So that is, in fact, Matt's story. And hey, it could be yours as well. Listen in. Hopefully you get as much inspiration and motivation from his story as I do. So here we go with a full conversation between myself and Matt Rudnitsky. Hello, Matt Rudnitsky. It's Jacques. Welcome to the Online Course Show. Thank you so much, Jacques. I am pleased to be here. I saw on the internet somewhere that like your friends call you Rudd, so I'm just going to rock and roll with it, man. I'm going to call you Rudd. Does that work? It absolutely works. Um, I'm glad
1: you took the initiative because like we were talking about uh, a couple of seconds ago before we got online, I feel weird
0: telling people to call me Rudd, but I do kind of like being called Rudd, so please. I like it. So where uh, where in the world are you, Rudd?
1: I'm not, so I'm actually in Bangkok, Thailand right now. Um, kind of a long story, but this was a little bit of a last-minute trip. Um, my girlfriend and I were planning to go to the World Cup in Qatar. It was going to be the short trip. Long story, she wound up leaving her job, uh, and we turned it into this crazy long trip. So now I'm in Thailand.
0: Wow, how about that? You know, I mean, that's that's one of the one of the benefits of this this whole online business, online course world is 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 the the location freedom. I'm sure you appreciate that. Exactly. Um,
1: it's actually kind of how I got like my start in in business was... Um, I was actually just telling this to someone the other day where like it was very organic how I got into selling a course and, and just entrepreneurship in general. Um, I was working as a sports writer technically in New York City. Um, but this was like right out of college. And I was, I was living with my parents because I was making $20,000 a year. And anyone who knows... You don't even need to know anything about New York City to understand that making twenty thousand dollars a year you cannot afford to live in New York
0: City. Um, probably even fifty years ago. I just I just got back from New York City two days ago, uh and it, it was it was a it was amazing but very pricey trip. I know what you mean. Yes. And you didn't even have to pay uh rent, which is the toughest thing to do. <laughs> nope, but I but my wife's sister lives there and uh she pays a lot she pays more than our mortgage here where I live. And I visited her apartment and it is a box. Uh, but it's a great city. Yeah, I, I loved um,
1: being around New York City, but I can't say I loved living with my parents. Um, and essentially, that just turned into... Um, I only worked at the company for like a year and a half or so. Um, very quickly got you know tired of the situation. And it was just kind of this entrepreneurial, um, I guess, like problem-solving mindset of you're not making enough money. Um, you're young, you don't know what you're doing. There's clearly not like a path for you in this company. So what do you do? Um, and for whatever reason, when I was like a a 22 year old kid, my answer was move somewhere cheaper, but it wasn't like move to, um, Oklahoma or something. It was move outside of the country. So Mm -hmm. I wound up moving to the Czech Republic. I'd never been to the Czech Republic before. I just people told me Prague was beautiful and cheap and had nice people and, and whatever. Um, so I wound up moving to Prague to teach English, because that's what people told me that you do if you move abroad. And I very quickly decided that I didn't enjoy the teaching English. So I just found myself in Prague, no friends, no knowledge, no job. Um, And that's how I started a business, because what else was I going to (laughs)
0: do? And so was the, the first business after that related to sports? So the first thing that I did was
1: I kind of built up a little bit of an audience when I was a sports writer, like working for a company. um, And I found this little like niche writing about sports gambling um, because it was something like people weren't talking about it. It was technically illegal in the US. Now it's like legal in some places. Um, So everybody wanted to read about it, but everyone was afraid to write about it or didn't Mm -hmm. know what to write about. And I was just young and uh, brazen enough to to actually do it. Um, So I built up this little following. And just had this crazy idea that like maybe I should write a book about this. People keep asking me questions um, and don't seem to know all the things that they should know to kind of protect themselves, um, you know, not lose too much money and stuff like that. And I wrote a book. Um, I self-published the book and I really just did it to like kind of answer the questions that I was getting. And then it like it took off, like it didn't take off in the sense that, you know, I made insane amounts of money, um, like you know, the first month I made, I think maybe like 800 bucks or something like that. Um, I think the second month, maybe 1200 bucks, Um, never made more than like 1500 bucks or something in a month. I think the total is around like $17,000 or so in royalties. Um, But again, like as a 22 year old kid living in Prague, like this amount of money for doing like, like completely passive income just like blew my mind. Um, And then that turned into an actual business um, teaching writing.
0: Yeah, we'll get there for sure. I, I'm I'm into sports. Uh, are you? Do you do sports betting still today? I
1: do. Um, you know, it's mainly a hobby. Like what I tell people. So my book is called Smart Sports Betting. Um, but you know, like Smart Sports Betting is what people want to read. But like the reality, if I was giving like the real title of the book, it's just like. Don't be stupid, sports betting. Like, here's <laughs> here's how to not put your life or family in danger, sports betting, because you're not as smart as you think. Um, myself included. Like, I'm not a professional. I was never a professional. Um, I just kind of learned the basics of like, you know, the data, the psychology, stuff like that, so that I can bet for fun and know I'm not gonna get myself in any
0: trouble. There's, There's a fine line between doing like smart versus not
1: being stupid i guess yeah yes yes it's really more about not being stupid um but it's hard it's harder than it's harder than you think
0: yeah you know what what uh blows me away about sports betting and i don't do a lot of it but like even even getting like 55 56 percent right is like that that's that's the the name of the game right That'd there right like, it's the it's, holy it's pretty...
1: grail is 55 ish percent yeah
0: yeah so I was doing a little LinkedIn stalking. You went to University of Michigan, do I have that I right? Did. I am a a huge uh, Wolverines. Well, they, they they've been doing pretty well here lately. Made it to the college football playoff. Congratulations! Yes. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I've got uh, I've got my old college football helmet up here, uh, top right, top left in the shot uh, for those watching on video. Absolutely um we had our we had our glory year a few uh, about three years ago um i know michigan's gonna be playing i think georgia in the playoffs right yes well uh well if if they win um which big if 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 both
1: teams win that They're TCU first.
0: Oh, Michigan has TCU. Okay, okay. Well, I'm kind of pulling for Michigan because you know people in the the SEC like typically pull for other SEC teams, but I'm the other way, man. I want all the SEC teams to lose uh, because I think that it bodes better for for my team just in recruiting and whatnot. So uh, I'm I'm a Wolverine fan today as well.
1: Appreciate that.
0: So let's talk. uh, Let's continue down the journey a little bit. So you you published your own book in um, in a very specific niche. Uh, And then, you know, how long did it take for you to be more of a book and publishing guy than a sports betting guy?
1: Yeah. um, Well, I kind of the thing about like sports betting, I remember I had this like um, dilemma when I was writing it because I always just kind of had like the the entrepreneurial mindset, um, even though I hadn't like started anything at that point. So I. Like one of the natural things to do writing a, a book about sports betting is like some sort of affiliate links. Um, so it's was like recommending certain you know sites to use, specifically like sports books that are you know, less predatory, um you get better prices, they treat you better. And I was looking up their affiliate programs, and I remember um, they were telling you that the way you make money is based on how much. so let's say like you sign up for my link. The amount of money you lose, I get a percentage of that. So essentially, like my incentive is to convince stupid people, um, I shouldn't say stupid people, but people who are going to lose, um, to lose more. So I'm like, this is really, really messed up and I'm not comfortable with this. Um, So I wound up not including any affiliate links. And the reason I mentioned that is because I just realized that I really liked sports. I really liked sports writing. I really liked sports betting, but there wasn't much of like a career or business to be made unless I kind of wanted to like compromise my ethics um, so I like very quickly gave up on it. So I was like, I see the potential of a book. I'm building this audience. I definitely could turn this into a huge business if I wanted to. Um, like a lot of people are doing that, especially now, um, kind of taking advantage of people with sports betting, but I just wanted no part of that. Um, so then I kind of hit this fork in the road of like, well, I don't really want to pursue the sports betting thing, even though I had success with it. It's like, what else am I interested in? And I was just so like captivated by this idea that this you know, 22, 23 year twenty-three-year-old who had no idea about the publishing world was able to just like share his ideas, make an impact, um, and make a decent amount of money. So I just like got so obsessed with this idea of self-publishing. And I think the, the first big thing that happened, um, again, kind of linked to sports is I came across this article on medium. Um, and this was when I was living in Prague and I was unemployed and had no idea what I was doing. And this guy, Trevor Krause, Um, wrote this article about how he had snuck into the Super Bowl. And it was just like, it was so well written. It was this like crazy story. Me as a sports fan, he was like around my age. He was pretty young. He was kind of crazy like me. (laughs) Like he snuck into the Super Bowl. He forged like forged this ticket. Um, It was like this whole crazy story. Uh, And then right at the end of the article, he says something like, um, and by the way, like I'm shopping this book around to publishers, like, you know, let me know if you're interested or something like that. And I was like, I'm reading that, like having just published a book, I don't know, maybe three, four months ago. And I'm like, that seems kind of weird. I'm like, I know a little bit about the publishing industry now. I'm like, he's not gonna like, this is a really good article. He's a really good writer, but I'm starting to understand how this industry works. And he's not going to have any success doing that. So I like reached out to him and I was kind of like, how's that going? Are you really reaching out to publishers? Are you getting any like bites? Um, He's like, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, no, it's not going well. And I was like, <laughs> that's what I thought. Um, and we wound up like getting on the phone and kind of just turned it into this like informal coaching, advisory, editing agreement. Um, just because we like got along really well. And I was like essentially just like a couple steps ahead of him on the journey. Like I had done something that he wanted to do, you know, a few months earlier. Um, he paid me like some crazy low amount of money. I think he paid me um. I I think he paid me, it was like a thousand bucks total, but it was like for coaching and editing for like multiple years. Like it made no sense. Like I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I just like wanted to attach myself to someone where I could coach them and also learn about coaching just because I was so passionate about this idea of helping people self-publish. So long story short, um, we wound up working together for like, three, four years, um, really, really, really closely, I made like no money doing it. um, But it was just this like transformative experience where I felt like I really became like an expert in helping other people do what I had done, Um, helping him and then also turning that into people would start to reach out to me. um, And I was helping them on smaller scales. I'm helping this one guy on a big scale, a bunch of other people on smaller scales. um, And then just like really committed to I'm going to turn this into a business.
0: So you turn it into that makes any a, sense. like a coaching, consulting type business. And specifically, what were you helping people do? It was people that already had an idea for a book and you helped them to self-publish that book? Is that what you did? It was the entire like development of if you have an idea and
1: don't know what to do with it, I'll help you figure out the rest. So it was really everything. Like so with Trevor specifically, um, that's why it's like it, it it's like very uh messy to talk about because i was essentially his editor i was essentially his business coach i was essentially (laughs) let's be real his therapist (laughs) his marketing coach like i was just doing everything because i was so fascinated by this idea of self-publishing i just wanted my hands in every piece of it
0: but i do have that right that it's you're helping you were helping people self-publish
1: correct correct
0: and and yeah i
1: guess the thing that the thing that really stuck out like when i read that little piece in the article he wrote saying he was shopping it around to publishers is i had started to learn about the publishing industry which is just very um honestly i would say like kind of elitist uh it's really like the deals are based on you know how many followers you have or who you know or um you know what writing degree you got like these things that people think matter, but they don't actually have any correlation to like how good your ideas are or how good your book is. Um, So yes, I was like super passionate of the idea of helping people who had good ideas, but wouldn't make it in in the traditional world self-publish.
0: I'm very ignorant in this area. I've never never published a book. I mean, I I have a book, um, a, a piano book that's sitting over there. It's out of the shot that when people like sign up for a certain level of my piano program. They get the physical book. That's just something that we put together in a document and like had a a local printer put together. Right. It's not like a published book or whatever. It's not something people can buy anywhere. It's a bonus. Um, So when you say self-published, like why is that the route that you help people go down versus trying to get synced up with a publisher? Like explain that to me, like explain it like you're like your five type situation.
1: Yeah. So, um, it's it's a whole rabbit hole i'll t- i'll try to give the, the the short version is in like in the past you needed a publisher if you wanted like your ideas to spread because essentially what they did is they would give you a production team and they would give you distribution right so they would give you the um the book cover designer the editor and then they would get you in bookstores and libraries, which is the only place that people would read books. Um, But now, like, where do most people read books? Amazon, right? Sure, some people still go to bookstores. um, But the way that it works is like, the things that in the past publishers could only do, now anyone can do like you can typically find a better book cover designer on 99 Designs, Upwork, um, A Friend of a Friend versus going to Simon & Schuster. Same thing for an editor. Um, Book publishers will get you on Amazon, or you can go yourself, (laughs) click a few buttons, and be on Amazon right next to Stephen King, J.K. Rowling, Michael Lewis. Like, There's no difference there. Um, There are very few advantages that book publishers have right now. I, I would argue almost none. Uh, And what they do is take 85 to 90% of your royalties. They tell you what you can and can't do. Um, You know, you want your title to be one thing. If they think something else is better, they have the final say. Um, They have a very, very, very poor track record on what succeeds. (laughs) Um, And it's just gotten to the point where there are few to no advantages with going to a publisher. And all of those things you can do on your own. So, like, why not own all of the rights to it?
0: It sounds similar to say starting your own podcast versus trying to you know pitch radio stations or starting your own YouTube channel versus trying to you know find somebody to team up with for a TV show or something like that. Uh, however, I've got several books you know behind me in the in the shot here. I read a lot of books. Most of the books I read, I'm pretty sure have publishers, right? So like, it, it still feels like the name of the game, at least for the the big guys and gals is going through a publisher why is that
1: so yeah so it depends um i think the it depends on the i'm actually really curious what like what are the books i can't see them from here what are the books on your shelf because it really it's really individual based on the book so i'm super curious like what those books are or or some of your favorite books if you don't like
0: those yeah so one is atomic habits by james clear Okay, okay.
1: Oh, such a good example. Okay. So James Clear is such a good example because he went through a traditional publisher. um, But the way that he got the attention of a traditional publisher is he essentially bootstrapped his own audience. So you could say he's, I think he's more or less a self publisher. He started his own blog, um, he started his own newsletter. He has like literally probably the single most successful like email newsletter on the planet. Um, He's amazing, super smart, great writer. He was at a point where he had done so well for himself, like a publisher came to him because of what he had done on his own. And he was in such like a good position that it probably just made sense for him to be like, sure, I'll take the easier way of, yes, I'll sign away these royalties, but like I'm doing well. Um, Technically, he probably would have like made more money doing it on his own. But like he was in
0: such a good situation that like, who cares at that point? Um, But he's kind of an outlier. Okay. Let me, let me walk back here and grab some of these books and we can talk about a couple more examples. Like uh, I could
1: literally dig into Eddie. Like, he's it. a great example of that. Phil
0: fill, fill, to fill the airspace while I walk back here. Like what are, what are, uh, one or two of your, your, like maybe all time favorite books or favorite authors?
1: Um, hardest question in the world. Um, it's like asking my mother who her favorite, uh, <laughs> her favorite child is, but, um, some of the things that, that come to mind, I think I guess Like business wise or like course creation wise, would be honestly things that aren't like directly related to like business or course creation or stuff like that, like kind of more of the classic or general thing. So, I'd say like anything by like Nassim Taleb, which you can't even really put in a genre, like he's he's in the business section, but he just kind of writes about whatever he wants. He's also another really interesting example of publishing. Um, and what else would I say? Oh, he's the he's the first one that comes to mind. We'll, we'll just stick with anything written by Nassim Taleb.
0: That works. No, that sounds good. All right. So we talked about James Clear. All right, let's go to this one next because I, I I don't really know what the details behind the publishing are, but we both know who wrote this book because we're 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 in his we're both in his coaching program. That's how we got connected. But Austin Netsley's book from six to seven figures. Tell me about this one.
1: Okay, so you know, can you actually look inside? So I assume that he independently publish that slash self-published but i don't actually know for sure so so how would i know so look in the like first couple of pages like on the copyright page um it'll say like um published by blah blah blah, and it might say published by like 2x it might say published by it could say a few things i don't i don't want to speculate
0: it's got it's got look on amazon as well right it's got copyright 2022 austin netsley does it does it say published by blah blah Mm -hmm. blah after that at all Wait. Okay, let, no, let's look. It Hold on. I'll
1: I'll look real quick on um Amazon from six to seven. So you can see if you look on Amazon, if you scroll all the way down, which is really funny, like that we're talking about this because I've read that book, excellent book. Um, I don't know specifically how he published it. You don't know specifically how he published it. He may have gone through a publisher. He may not have. And this is the whole point that you wouldn't know unless you went searching for it. And even mm-hmm. even me as like someone who's obsessed with books, reads a ton of books, like I can't tell you which publisher published which book. Like, I, I just can't. Like,
0: nobody knows unless you go looking for it. Um, and, I'm and that's part of your point is, is part of the point you're trying to make.
1: Exactly. Yeah, the whole point is like James Clear didn't need a publisher. Um, it probably made sense for him just because like he has better things to do than like, you know, go hunt down a book uh, book cover designer. And he probably got a little bit more reach just because, you know, again, he was in such a good position. But he absolutely could have done that on his own um if he wanted to. And it wouldn't have necessarily made any difference. Did you find it yet? Are you looking it up? I, I just got on the uh, link. I'll find it in like two seconds. Hold on. Um oh so you have to go So you have to go to the paperback edition. If you go to the Kindle, it won't always tell you. So I'm on the paperback edition, and we've got, here we go, publisher, 2X. There you go. So he's
0: self-published.
1: Okay. Correct. Again, and there the- is, and I think, um, like, going back to your question, like, why people don't do it, um, there's a lot of reasons, but I think I think the most important reason is there still is, like, a a stigma around it where you're not, you're theoretically not taken as seriously if your book is self-published. Mm-hmm. But nobody actually knows if you're self published or not.
0: Okay. Let me, let me, I've got a lot of books here. Let me just give you one more example and then we can, um, we can sh- shift a little bit. But this book is by Graham Cochran. I don't know if you're familiar with Graham Cochran or this book. He, he's one of my mentors. He, he talks a lot about online courses. He's, um, he's got a, you know, podcast, The Graham Cochran Show. He's got a YouTube channel that's got, 50,000 subscribers. You know, people know him, but he's not like the biggest person on the planet. Um, But he wrote this book last year and it's clearly not self published. I see a little logo here that says Matt Holt on the inside couple of pages. You can tell um, some information about the publisher. And there's even a section, it's like editing by, proofreading by, indexing by, text design by. And it's all these different people and companies. You can do that stuff though. Like, so it actually depends though because you can self
1: publish and again hire like independent freelancers and it will say edited by etc
0: um but it won't say published by someone. Mm-hmm. But it's got this whole Ben Bella Books Inc and then the Matt Holt uh, and I know for a fact that he didn't self publish this book. Yeah, I mean, and so I mean, I'm gonna say he did, What would your what would your guess maybe be behind why somebody like that, right? He's not on James Clear's level why would he not self publish so
1: I, my honest answer for most people i do think it's just um like the stigma behind self publishing the only the only benefits in my opinion of traditional publishing are you get a potential slight boost in distribution like they have better relationships with the bookstore than you would have independently like you would have to go independently hire someone to do it or literally like walk into a bookstore and sell your book whereas they can just call up you know the person they know um but like the thing that people don't understand is like even if you go through Simon and Schuster, Penguin like one of the biggest publishers that doesn't mean that your book gets in a bookstore. It means that if your book does really well, then they will get your book in a bookstore. But if your book does that well, like you would be able to figure it out on your own. So yes, if you're someone that's relatively big it'll make your life a little bit easier because you don't have to deal with that stuff on your own. So I don't blame anyone for doing it. Um, but I still don't think it's like the optimal decision. And I think it. mainly why people do it is just, it's easier. And if they don't really need the money, sure, it's fine to give away the royalties. And I totally understand it. I don't blame them by any means. Um, but I don't think it's the optimal decision.
0: Sounds like there's pros and cons to both approaches. Absolutely. And,
1: and so the thing, like, I think the biggest thing, like, like all the people we're talking about, it's like, they generally run like a pretty good business. Um, they're doing pretty well, and it's like if you're someone like that, it doesn't really matter. Like you're probably sacrificing a little bit of money, but who cares? Like you may you might get a little bit more reach. You're saving some time. Like I totally understand why someone would do it. The reason I'm so like passionate about it is for people who don't already have like a business or some degree of success see people like that um and go like i want to write a book but i'm not like that person i don't have those relationships um i'm not going to get accepted and that discourages them from doing anything and i tell those people like that like that's not a good reason for doing it you totally can do this on your own and do just as well if not better and honestly probably make more money doing it so you shouldn't let that discourage you like that's why i'm so passionate about it
0: that's interesting because I can relate that to, say, an online course business, tying it back to, exactly. you know, the context of this show, this show, because people would be like, "Jock, you know, I love I love the podcast. I love the idea of having an online course, but I don't have any reach. I don't have an audience. And to that, I would say, right, like that. Let's start there before you actually build the online course. Are you suggesting with a book? It doesn't necessarily work that way.
1: I well, so the thing that I generally um kind of preach to people is that if you don't have an audience, like the best thing to build your own audience is self-publishing a book because it can help hone your ideas, clarify your ideas, and get you known for one thing in particular, mm-hmm. where then that book, you know, becomes your business card. Like I hate that. Um kind of phrase because business cards don't actually work, um, but it's like your business card on steroids that actually does work. And then you can turn it into something like an online course. You could turn it into a writing career. Um, I think it's the perfect first step.
0: What if, what if somebody has zero audience, you know, they're listening to this and you're like, okay, fine. You know, I'll I'll write a book first and they publish a book and it's got like zero reviews anywhere. I mean, is that really effective? Or I guess that's part of what you teach is how to, how to make it an actual effective thing and not just have only your mom have a copy.
1: Exactly. Like that's the main thing that I teach is how to actually take this crazy idea you have in your head and put it in a way that people actually want to read it. And like one of the biggest things that I do in my course is essentially testing your idea before you actually start writing the book. So this idea, I call it like book bait. It's like a little play on the idea of clickbait, where it's like clickbait is you know a catchy title um, that people want to click on, think it's really interesting, and that's super disappointing, right? Like it doesn't deliver on the promise. Book bait is this like attractive promise, really interesting, but then you deliver on it with like, oh, I'm going to turn this into a book. It's going to be something more. Substantive. And the whole idea is a lot of people come in with a decent idea. Like, right, you might be like, I want to, you know, write a book on how I help people with an online course, right? Like, that's a great starting point, but there are already books about that, right? So you need to go a little bit deeper, you need to find your unique angle. And what I would tell you is to like turn that into, you know, two to five different angles, like short pieces. It could be, 500 words, 750 words, like super short, um, kind of post those around social media groups, stuff like that, um, and see which one hits. And then like, once you get a little bit of traction, that's going to start to be that proof that you're actually onto something, and then turn that into a book. So it's like, take a little bit of extra time in the idea phase to make sure you're really on something to validate your idea, like, you know, kind of lean startup um, validation style, and then turn it into a book.
0: So let's, let's jump back to your story a little bit. We got to the point where you started getting some coaching and consulting clients. What are the steps that led to you turning this knowledge you had into an online course? Um,
1: Yeah, it was a long journey of um, just organically helping and coaching people kind of one-on-one and then just realizing the limitations of that and being like, I need to turn this into a course so that, you know, I'm not spending 24 hours a day, um, emailing people on the phone, on zoom, stuff like that. Um, so I guess like the, the specific steps would be just coaching a bunch of people individually trying multiple times, well, creating a course multiple times, um, failing, marking it a few times, (laughs) um, and eventually getting to the point where the marketing um worked. Like it took a while. I created a course pretty much immediately. It took me a while for the marketing to work.
0: So I okay, so let's we, we gotta dive into that a little bit because that's usually the hardest piece for, for uh for people. So give me give me rough time frame we're talking about what year is this when you first started and, and had that first failure with the course?
1: So um well so the first coaching client was like twenty fourteen. Um I don't think I officially created a course till 2016, 2017. Um, And then it didn't, I think the first minor takeoff was around 2020. So it took two to three years. Um, And then the real, real, real takeoff was, was this year. It was 2022. So was this year, five years or so.
0: So with the first version, uh, what, what was the name of it, by the way? What was the name of the course?
1: It's funny. I barely remember. What was it?
0: Oh, okay. It was called uh, Permission Publishing.
1: That was the permission first Permission Publishing. And how many? Yeah, how it's many? Very similar. It's very similar to what the course is now, but it's a different name. It was marketed differently, um, but the course itself wasn't that much different.
0: How many copies of that course did you sell?
1: <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing because I so I
1: did. Um, I did this whole marketing push where I was trying to do organic stuff. And I got this really big partnership. Um, with this guy, I don't, I don't want to like name him specifically because I don't want this to come across as negative to him. But he has like a huge, huge audience. Like I don't know, hundred thousand subscribers or something. Did a joint webinar with him. Uh, sold this course it was the first time I was like officially selling it to a big audience. Um, ton of people showed up. I thought I did an okay job, but it was my first like kind of official webinar. Um, I sold one copy, mm. but it, it gets better. It gets better. I sold one copy, I had a money back guarantee. Um, You had to do the work, right? Like action-based guarantee. And within like two days, the person that um, signed up was like, this really isn't for me, I want my money back. And I was like, well, you have to actually do the work. And this person just like filled it out very, very hastily. It was like, you know, put like one line for everything. It was like, please give me my money back. Like, I can't afford this. It was basically, I can't afford this. Um, So I sold one and then had to give her a money back. So I still. Yeah, Man, that
0: must have that must have really brought you down. How were you feeling at that point? It did.
1: I felt awful. <laughs> it, was, it was tough. What made you keep going? I don't know. I always just because I had had a lot of really good um, one-on-one coaching relationships, so I knew like what I was doing was valuable. It was just like a question of. Am I packaging in this or in the right way? Am I selling it in the right way? Is it the right price? Am I doing it in, in front of the right people? Like it was, it was still just a logistical question to me. Um, like I believed fully in the the fact that like I could help people.
0: Rod, this is, this is going to be a really key lesson for people listening to this because I know how successful you've been like this year. Um, let's, let's jump forward to that and then jump back to where you were because You've got this big opportunity. You put this course together. You launch it. You make one sale, which I always say one sale is so much better than zero. But but you basically made zero. Like that's even worse. It's almost like negative sales. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Because like you have to do the refund, and then Stripe charges you even extra for processing refunds. So that's like that's a that's a mega failure. But just to provide some. Some like the happy ending, like can can you give us some numbers for what you know we're at right at the end of twenty twenty two here what what are you gonna do in sales this year?
1: yeah, um, like we've reached um over like three million in in sales this year, um yeah, which has been awesome and and really only this like iteration, like I did a new iteration of this offer and funnel um like end of February, so it's really only been you know eight and a half months or so. Um, and yeah, like 3 million bucks in, in sales.
0: <laughs> okay. So if somebody's struggling, they made one sale and then two days later, the person refunded and they're crying in a corner because they can't make an online course work. Just know that that doesn't have to be the end. And in a couple of years, you could be bringing in $3 million from almost the same online course. Just tweak the offer a little bit, tweak the funnel and just get things dialed in. Do I have that right? Exactly. Like...
1: There was not a significant change in what I was teaching. Um, it was just where it was positioned. It was, you know, ads versus a web, like it, it was these minor things that literally took it from zero dollars to three million dollars, which is insane, but it's it's true. Like it's it's a hundred percent true. It's the same thing with a book too. Like um, there's this famous story. Um, the book, it's it's called like men are men are from Men are from Mars, Women are from Venus, like one of the best selling books of all time. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was originally called Astrological Love and it sold like no copies at all. (laughs) And then a publisher, one of the good things a publisher has done, like a new publisher, I think, took it over. I might be getting the details wrong. Um, They changed the title to Men are from Mars, Women are from Venus, and it went from selling like no copies to millions of copies. And sometimes it's just this the small tweak, get it in front of different people, change the title, change the positioning. Um, that again, takes it from, you know, zero dollars to millions of dollars.
0: Wow. That's, I, that's really amazing. And I'm familiar with that book obviously And the, the title that it actually is, is so much more compelling. I had no idea that that was the case. Astrological love sounds like exactly. I wouldn't buy that book. No, thank you. Exactly. Um, right. yeah. but I remember that, that reminds me a couple years ago. I, um, for my piano course, which had already been very, very successful. Like I tweaked some things and I redid my webinar and I like raised the price and I modified the offer a little bit. And um, I'd already had quite a bit of success. And so I expected these tweaks to make it even better. And I did this live webinar and I'm expecting like all these sales to come through better than ever. And uh, I had a bunch of people on the webinar and I literally sold zero copies of something I had already, you know, was already proven and it's because i tweaked things in the wrong direction and it just the the combination of what i did just didn't work and i i had it set up to where i was doing that live webinar um twice i was doing it you know that that day and then then a, the, a second one the next day to just co- cover all the time zones and since i didn't sell any copies i'm like well crap and i went back to my proven formula for everything and sold tons of copies uh, the next day on the on the live webinar so sometimes like little things can make all the difference so Wait, so
1: how how did how did that feel as like um as someone who had already had success like did you just kind of shrug it off like how how did that feel
0: yeah, well, no, it sucked. It was horrible because you want to always be moving in the right direction, right? And so, yeah, you're you're doing 3 million dollars this year, Rudd. Like, what if you do 1 million next year? That's not going to feel very good, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so even, even though it
1: though, felt amazing 2 years
0: ago. Exactly, right? We always want to keep moving forward, keep getting better, and when we put in time and effort to Try to make something better. We want to see that actually have results, and definitely not go backwards. So that really, really stinks. The my my biggest lesson learned from that particular thing was don't change too many things at one time. In fact, if you can help it, change one thing at a time, test one thing at a time. Because what I did was I doubled my pricing, and I also modified the offer a little bit, and then I also modified my webinar script. I modified three things at one time. So when the webinar ended, my first thought was, well, shoot, this was not the right pricing. And in fact, what happened was, the next day when I did the webinar again, I said I went back to you know the proven script. Well, I went back, I, I put everything else the same, but I kept the, the, the doubled pricing. And, and it's still, I still sold a lot. So it wasn't that my pricing was too high. It's that I think it was more about changing the webinar script. I modified how I presented the webinar. I thought for the better, but it just, I, I it just, I ended up presenting in a way that didn't, <laughs> it didn't, it didn't land. Um, and so, yeah, that's the, that was the big lesson there is don't change too many things at one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I totally agree with that.
0: So let's get into more specifics of what you did. Like going, all right. So you you get the refund request. You don't give up. A lot of people probably would have given up there. Um, what are some steps? What are some things you changed? What are some different things you tried the next time?
1: Yeah. Um, so I actually kind of I, I guess it I guess it probably affected me a little bit more than than I'm realizing because I did kind of give up on the idea of a course specifically. I didn't give up on the idea of a business or helping people, I just, I guess I kind of went to the false conclusion that like a course wouldn't work. And that's just not the right way to help people. Um, And I had done this coaching stuff and this consulting stuff that had worked. So it was just like, okay, that's kind of the better route. I'll stick with that. Um, And I did have like a decent degree of success with that mainly just like cold emailing, um, referrals, stuff like that. I got a, a job with this company called Scribe. I was doing like ghostwriting. Um, but for the course specifically, I I kind of gave up on it now that I think about it for probably about two years um, until what happened was I kind of, I reached like a plateau of being like a little bit successful, but not super successful doing like ghostwriting and coaching, like making, you know, Very low six figures, um, (laughs) but doing everything organically, referrals, cold emails, and then everything dried up like pretty quickly. (laughs) And I went from, you know, making low six figures to like making no money one month, making no money a second month, third month, fourth month, I think it hit probably five or six months. And I was like, well, I can't really afford to live again. This is not okay. Um, I really need to change something. And the biggest thing I did was I just kind of took this huge risk of um, of like hiring a marketing agency because I was like just so tired of the we'll say like manual labor of having to reach out to people individually, and I got you know ghosted by a few people, and you know some people would agree to something and not pay, or someone would pay the first payment and change their mind. I just had a bunch of things in a row happen like that um, that were super frustrating. I just took this leap to like hire a marketing agency, um, which was really, really interesting because I still started to do, I was trying to sell coaching um, and it just wasn't going that well. And then the the marketing agency was actually a second marketing agency I moved to. was just like really pushing to do a webinar and a course. And I was kind of like, no, I've done that before. It doesn't work. <laughs> I had this negative one sales. Um, I don't want to do that. But... Like the the founder of the marketing agency was just like so persistent she's just like you need to try this and i was like i mean i guess i might as well try it again like it's been over two years um i tried it and the first webinar didn't go that well the second went okay um the third went pretty well and then it was the fourth one that went really 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 well and we turned it into an automated thing um so it was really just her. Like I honestly, just <laughs> kind of just owe <laughs> her um, everything for like insisting that I try this.
0: And that's, you mentioned earlier, there was like, at some point you kind of had some success and then it wasn't until early this year you had a lot of success. So is that fourth webinar tied to earlier this year with a lot of success? Yeah,
1: yeah the fourth one okay. was in February this year. Um, I did four, so I did four of them in, I don't know, it was in probably like four or five weeks. I was just kind of, testing the same webinar and making small tweaks. Um, Again, the first one, I think I had zero sales. Um, Second one, I think I got like two sales. Um, Third one, I got like a decent amount of sales, but it's like, I think we can do a little bit better. And then the fourth one just like crushed
0: it. What was different? Like, were there just more people on?
1: No, no, it was not more people. It was, the first one I was just like, awkward and stumbling through things and you know messed up tech just kind of like the the basic um first time stuff second time um it was kind of just technical stuff of like the slides were too busy i was like going through them too quickly um which again like the um ceo of the ad, ad agency i work with helped me like helped point out i changed that so the third one was a lot smoother And then the fourth one, I was just super comfortable. So combined like the smoothness of the presentation with me being really comfortable um, selling the offer.
0: So that time you mentioned, you said ad agency. So it was a marketing agency or an ad agency? Technically an ad agency. Okay. So it's it's a
1: a paid media agency.
0: The people that were attending these four webinars were through paid ads. Correct.
1: 100% paid ads. Um, I think 100% Facebook, maybe 98% Facebook.
0: Why did you hire an ad agency after you hadn't made money for six months?
1: Because I needed to do something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but that's just spending more money.
1: You don't know that it's going to work? So, okay. So I went through two different agencies. The first one had a guarantee um, that they would work with you until you make your money back. And I was like, I need to try something drastically different. The worst that happens is I break even. Um, So that was the original impetus. I worked with that agency. It was okay. Um, again, got kind of into that like low six-figure profit range. And then it kind of started to plateau. Hired a new agency because I had like seen that they, they, the paid media thing worked a little bit. Um, and then they were just much better and it took off.
0: So they're just driving traffic for you to a webinar registration page for a live webinar. Correct. That's where you started. Correct.
1: Well, no, that's c- not where I started that's not where i started
0: well i mean with uh, i'm skipping with these, i'm skipping through some details what 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 part are we did you did we skip here
1: okay so two different agencies the first agency i was still doing coaching stuff um and i was actually selling a book bundle to uh like a sales call to coaching that went okay made kind of that low six figures again um also started to plateau a little bit the agency like didn't want to continue doing it it wasn't going that well on either side so it was kind of like just mutual move on um hired this other agency continued to go okay but just like you know it was just it was just kind of mediocre um and it felt like there was a lot of potential to be had and the second agency was like you need to do this as a course in a webinar and that's when i was like i did that it doesn't work um and they're like no you need to do it and i was like well, okay, I guess that was a while ago and I didn't know as much as I do now and I didn't have this paid uh, advertising thing going. Sure, I'll try it. Um, and I was pretty skeptical. First one didn't go well. i like, no, no, just tweak these things. Second one went okay. Okay, I can tweak these other things. Third one went pretty well. Then I was super confident and then the fourth one went really well.
0: Did they coach you through putting together an effective webinar or was that you? I did most of it, um, but... Specific,
1: there were a couple of tweaks specifically that they helped me with, like specifically the stuff on like slides being too busy and kind of going through them too quickly, like not going line by line. Um, like I'm a writer, right? Like I have a lot of text on the slide and the founder was like, hey, like you have five bullets on the slide, you need to do them one by one. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize <laughs> that. Um, but the, the general structure, like um, I did myself.
0: How different was the offer itself from the fo- from the fourth webinar from from the first one to the fourth one? The offer itself
1: was very similar. There wasn't a huge difference, but my presentation um, and smoothness was was exponentially better.
0: Did you then take that fourth webinar recording and and use that recording as the evergreen webinar?
1: Correct, correct. That's the same one I still have going
0: today. Still have going today. Okay, and they are still running the ads for you. Correct. Yeah,
1: and still going super, super well.
0: What percent of your traffic is coming from ads? Is it 100%? 99.999999. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like mean, I'm, one hundred percent? Ninety-nine point nine 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 nine. Yeah, I mean, one or two honestly, people. I'm like googling around trying to find it right now, and I can't. What exactly? I'm, I'm hard I? to find. And let, well,
1: you will find me if you Google me and then go on Facebook or probably even YouTube or Google. Because just of retargeting.
0: Exactly. If somebody listening to this is like, wants to see your webinar, maybe interested in your course, where would they go?
1: So I do, I do have, um, a landing page. It's just very few people go through it. Like I literally have to look up the URL to it. Um, I can make <laughs> one, like I can make a redirect, um, for like anyone who's who's watching this um that that's probably the best way to do it okay
0: so can we just can do inc- like mattrudd.com slash jacques. we will do that I guess. let's do ocg that's a little easier to spell mattrudd.com slash ocg Matt um that's perfect if anybody wants to check check this out but they like you said they could also just like google your name like how w- how would they get into the retargeting trail like googling your name or what yeah, I think probably just googling my name
1: or Googling like um punchy books. That's like that's the the name of my uh like webinar and course, the, the punchy books masterclass. Um mm. so yeah, Google any of those so, things.
0: So pun- so it's not permission publishing anymore. Now it's called the punchy books masterclass. It changed it,
1: yes, from permission publishing to punchy books. Punchy books. What is a punchy book? Punchy book is a book that is short to the point. No fluff, really honest. Probably a little bit controversial, um, but not in like a an obnoxious way. Just like in a, I stand for something and I believe something different um, that other people might disagree with. That's pretty much it. It's a book that stands <clears throat> out, right? Punches you in the face a little bit.
0: Yeah, I got it. Um, tell me about the the funnel more than just the webinar. So, it it's going to start with an ad, basically uh what what kind of targeting are you even doing i mean some some people on facebook like it's so much easier to target like if you're targeting you know doctors or um or men like how are you doing targeting or do you even know
1: so i know a little bit um the ad agency they are the uh, the experts i can tell you just like demographically um who tends to show up as my students which surprised me a lot and it's um primarily is Older females, typically, I'd say, honestly, like 50 to 70 years old, um, as surprising as that sounds, since I'm a 31-year-old male, um, generally either retired or kind of like late in their career, maybe an empty nester or something like that, um, and kind of like looking to share their wisdom is what I would say.
0: So you have ads that, I mean, what, what attracts somebody on the ad? Um,
1: it's funny, I don't even look at the ads that much, but I know (laughs) that, um, the, the biggest things are generally just like, honestly, the ads don't stand out that much. It's usually just my personal story, which is me, um, talking about how I like self-published this book when I didn't have any Sort of like credentials or experience, um, and was able to make like $15,000, which I think is actually really interesting because that, that like $15,000 mark, um, which I talk about a lot because that's like what my sales were a couple of years ago is kind of like triggering to people because it's like if someone's never written a book if they never started a business it seems like so much money um but at the same time like it's fifteen thousand dollars it's not like gonna pay for your entire life or anything like that so like some people think it's so unrealistically high and then other people are like that's it (laughs) um so it just like gets a reaction out of people because it's very very real like that's literally the amount that i had made when i um like sent them the info to write that ad um and that's just kind of what I do like in the webinars. I'm just really, really transparent with, here's how much money I made. Here's exactly how I did this. Here's how old I was. Um, here's what students have done. Some of them do okay. Some of them do amazing. Some of them don't do well. Um, and that's, that's kind of the biggest thing that stands out to people.
0: So they click on the ad, takes them to a webinar registration page. Do they have the opportunity to like schedule the webinar or is it just a, a simple on-demand webinar?
1: I use, um I use something called Stealth Seminar, um, mm-hmm. which is just like an, an evergreen webinar. And I think that it gives them, I think it's three times in the current day and three times in um, the following day. So they have like two days to choose from and six times, I believe.
0: Okay. So they register for the webinar. What happens? Like, do you put them in buckets based on if they attend or watch a certain amount of time, or does everybody kind of go down the same path? I'm I'm sure there's follow up emails. What happens next?
1: So I have some really, really basic um, follow up emails and automations, and it's essentially just like if you haven't watched most of it, I push you to the replay. Um, Once you've watched most of it, whether through the replay or um, the you know quote live showing. Uh, then it's just a bunch of reminders. It's like, hey, you have a, a discount for the next three days. Do you want it? If you want it, it's expiring. <laughs> um, and it's really just a few emails over three days, like, hey, remember this webinar you watched? Like, do you want that thing? Um, if not, no worries. It's it's very, very basic. Most people purchase on the webinar um, or they purchase, you know, right as the discount is expiring.
0: So the urgency is simply a discount on the offer. It's a discount exactly what's, Which what's what's the how much is the discount
1: um it's 50 percent off so it's like a, a two thousand dollar thing if you buy um normally it's a it's thousand bucks if you don't or 997 technically
0: the links that are in the emails uh, a- after you try to get somebody to watch the replay and then and then you're uh really hammering on the urgency the the links go to a sales page go directly to the order form where do they go
1: Sales page, um, I have like a, it's a relatively short sales page, um, but yeah, it's a sales page and I use deadline funnel, which, um, so it's like actual urgency. It's not like what some people mm-hmm. do, which is like saying the price will change and it doesn't. Um, like it actually changes the price.
0: Your funnel is exactly what I've like preached to so many people to set up. Like it's so simple. It's so, it's uh, like, it's, <laughs> um, Yeah, it's it's it really is. Um, What is? Let's talk about like ROI a little bit because I'm sure that is the the ads part of this would scare people a little bit. Yeah, you've brought in three million. Okay, so a thousand dollar program. What's what's the math on that? You sold three thousand copies, roughly.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, roughly three. I'll I'll give you like the exact number if I don't want to butcher it. But hold on, pulling up my spreadsheet. Um,
0: because if you spent three million on ads in 2022, well, this this story changes a little bit. Yeah. So hold on, let me just see. Okay,
1: so the the like official row as I have down here, um, is like 151, 151 percent. So essentially, like 50 percent, um, profit margin. So spend three million bucks, make approximately like one and a half million in profit okay so Which isn't, probably, you probably know, i have some some other costs you know software and, and i have a small team but um you know we'll say around a million bucks
0: so you may may have spent roughly 2 million on ads to make the 3 million in revenue
1: um i have spent uh, sorry it's i got too many spreadsheets here <laughs> um, yeah like one like 1. 1.5 1. 1.6 ish
0: Have you considered adding a more organic, uh, traffic strategy in with this, these ads? Yeah,
1: Yeah, that, that's my, um, that's my big thing for 2023. Absolutely.
0: Try to increase those profit margins. Correct. What about the fee to the ad agency? Are they based on performance or roughly what are you having to pay them? Um, I can look at that too. Hold on.
1: Um, so they do it based on the, it's based on the spend. Technically, um, we have like, kind of kpis and stuff so like they they would never get out of hand like oh we're spending 10 million dollars this uh month but um and the so like if i if i spend on the higher end which i do most months like 150k plus um i pay them 17 uh 17 and a half grand per month so it's like it's less than 10 percent of, of the ad spend <clears throat>
0: I don't do, right now we're not running any Facebook ads. We've we've done some here and there. I know um, there's some people, there's a couple of people in my coaching program who uh, they get all their traffic from ads. Most people rely more on organic. Um, there's one guy that um, I've had on the podcast before that has done millions of dollars in course sales, has been very successful, has had most of his traffic come from Facebook. And I literally got a message from him yesterday. And he said, I really wouldn't want to be starting a new online business from scratch right now. Facebook ads are a tough go. What do you think about that? It hasn't been my experience. I th- I think that, um,
1: well, one, I think my marketing agency is is really, really, really good. Um, two, I think my webinar and offer like, really, really do stand out. And most people don't do it in the same sort of like really really honest authentic and transparent way um i i think for most people it's probably best to do it organic but i think if you have like kind of a war chest that you're doing yourself a disservice by by not um doing facebook ads and if you don't have if you don't have a war chest you should not do it um i think if you do you're doing yourself a, a disservice by not trying it
0: Yeah. I mean, my response to him was like, Facebook ads are not the only way to generate traffic. He's like, okay, well, yeah, that's, that's true. But I have heard more and more about people saying Facebook ads are working like less and less for whatever reason, but it seems like they're (laughs) as good as ever for you right now. Yeah. I, I,
1: again, like I can't speak for everyone. I look at a lot of Facebook ads and in my experience most people just copy each other and if you just copy each other your ads are just gonna get more and more expensive and someone's gonna make a small tweak to what you're doing um, they're gonna beat you like you know it's that simple
0: so what about uh software you mentioned deadline funnel what online course software are you using i use podia
1: um which i like it's just like pretty good. Um, I think like student and, and UI, but I don't know if they're all kind of similar if, if I'm being
0: honest. Yeah. It's a good all in one. Are you using their uh, emails as well? No, I use, um, active campaign for emails. Cool. That's what I use as well. Are you, uh, is there any other software that, um, you haven't mentioned that, that you're liking? Um, I use a lot of like small things.
1: Um, trying to think for like the course specific. Oh, so one big thing that I use that I actually think is, is really really helpful um and they're gonna love that i'm shouting them out because it's like a very new company um it's called intros.ai and I don't even think this was their original intent. Like, I think they mainly were going for kind of connecting bigger companies to like facilitate connections between employees. Um, but I use it as like an accountability partner platform. So since I have so many students, like it's really hard for me to, to manually match people. Um, but I think having an accountability partner is super valuable and happen to find this, um, product where they use AI to match students in like similar time zones. Um, with similar schedules to like meet um, via video and, and just support each other. So it takes like very little effort um, on my end, but it's so valuable um, to students. Like people tell me all the time, like, it, it's so funny. People will tell me like, you match me with the perfect partner. Like we get along so well. I'm like, I, mean, I didn't do that, but I'm so glad to hear that you're really getting along with them.
0: I <laughs> know. Uh, I'll have to check that out. That sounds really, really interesting because that, that can... <laughs> Yeah, having having some sort of like accountability partner for an online course is, is is definitely a positive thing. So that leads nicely into talking about the fulfillment aspect of your course. Like, how passive is it? How much interaction is it? Once somebody signs up, uh, what happens other than a pre-recorded course?
1: Yeah. So the biggest things are the accountability partner. Um, the I mean, the biggest thing that takes my time and is valuable to people is. They essentially get as much um, support as they need via email. So people will just email me, hey, I'm on this lesson. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Um, and I essentially answer every email. I have turned them into templates. So it's not like I don't need to answer literally every email. Um, but in, a response is sent to everyone that asks the question. Um, and I have like a huge database of um,
0: email templates answering questions. That's amazing. Do you, do you have a team or is it just
1: you? I have a support person that uh, that sends those actual emails. I, I write the template. Um, she like will tweak okay. them a little bit, make sure that it um, applies to the person. Sometimes, you know, I I do have to write a, an email fully myself. Um, but yeah, I have a support person that uh, that helps a lot with that.
0: So. Let's let's get some advice from me now. Let's say somebody's listening to this and they've maybe they've had failures, whatever. They know they have something they feel like they could teach somebody else. Forget about the bias of the fact that this is called the online course show. Right. You're you're a book guy, but you've also got a course, whatever. Like, what are the steps you would take or you would advise somebody take when they're starting at the beginning of this process to find success like you have?
1: Yeah, well, I think there's so many parallels between online courses and books. Like, what it takes to succeed with a book is is essentially the same thing that it takes to succeed with an online course. And I think if you're someone who's kind of in the earlier stages of success, um, really, it just comes down to again, whether it's a book or a course, or if you want to do both. Like, literally, finding a real life person that you can help that will pay you money whether it's selling them a book or whether it's selling them coaching or whether it's selling them a course like literally having that person in mind knowing their name talking to them because like what i said earlier about you know selling that negative one like courses yes i was pretty upset um but i wasn't completely devastated or broken because i had people in mind i was like i helped trevor like i have had conversations with trevor where he was like you changed my life you helped me i never thought i could write a book And you just literally need that real-life example of giving someone a transformation, ideally a transformation that you've been through yourself. That's the most important thing. And then it just becomes a question of if you've done that, what is the best way to scale that experience, right? If it's a course, am I going to use Facebook ads? Am I going to use a webinar? Am I going to write a book? Am I going to do both? Am I going to do cold emails? Like There are a million different strategies you can use, and they work for people. like There are people who do really well with LinkedIn. There are people who do horrible with LinkedIn. There are people who do really well with Facebook ads. There are people who do horrible with Facebook ads. Like There is a strategy for you. It depends on your niche. It depends on your... Again, if you have money, it depends if you have more time than money. It depends if you have a team. If you don't have a team, there is a strategy for you. But if you can just go back to that confidence of, I know I can help this one individual person, then it just becomes a question of what is the best logistical way for me to scale this. Awesome, And that's an easier, easier thing to solve than, you know, is my advice worthwhile? Because it is worthwhile at that point.
0: All right. This is, uh, this has been fascinating, man. Thank you for, for joining me. What, what's, what's up next for you? Like what, what are, what are the organic strategies you're thinking about implementing uh, going into the new year? Um, so the biggest thing by far, um, I just cannot
1: wait to do is I want to turn, basically turn, um, the like framework behind my course into a book. I have a book on (laughs) self-publishing, but I wrote it, um, years ago and it's like, it's not exactly what I want to teach anymore. Like I want an updated, streamlined, much better version of this. Um, it's going to be, I'm so excited about it. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. (laughs) So look out for my book in 2023. right
0: on. All right, Rod, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for uh, being so generous with the, uh, the advice being so transparent with everything. Um, congrats on all the success and, uh, hopefully we can stay in touch. Yeah. Thank you, Jacques.
1: And thank you everyone for listening. This has been an absolute pleasure.
0: Awesome. Take care, man. Well, there you go. Pretty incredible, right? Once again, I hope you don't miss how powerful his story is of going back and tweaking things to optimize, to make it better, getting market feedback, applying what he's learning and not giving up. Imagine if he would have given up and had this story to share with us and didn't have this as part of his life, how different his life would be and how different the lives of all of his students would be. I'm sure he is greatly impacting all those that are purchasing his course and helping them to publish their book and, and make sales of their book and increase their own business through their books. And so let this be a lesson in persistence uh, because it could just be right there for you. Maybe it's one small tweak somewhere and you're right there. Maybe maybe for you, it's not $3 million a year. Maybe 300,000 would be an absolute game changer, and maybe you're one simple tweak away. If you think that might be you, we have some resources for you over at theonlinecourseguy.com to help you on your journey, whether you're a beginner or a seasoned veteran at online courses, to maybe help you find that one little tweak. So once again, head to theonlinecourseguy.com for lots of resources there. Our show notes and links from today's episode, you can find it oc.show slash 193. And... I wanna remind you about that link that Matt shared for his funnel. If you're inspired and want to maybe watch his webinar, see how his funnel works, it's very, very simple. It's very simple. I've been through it multiple times. It is at mattrudcom slash OCG. That puts another episode in the books. Thank you so much for being here, for being a part of the Online Course Guy community, listening to the Online Course Show. We'll see you in the next one. Take care.